0: It's time for Tuesday Terror here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. The following program is rated U for universal audiences and is considered suitable for listeners of all ages. This is a presentation of Dream Realm Enterprises. Where dreams become reality. Welcome to Dream Realm Enterprises' horror anthology series, Tales from a Dark Realm. This episode is titled, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, written by Washington Irving. First, we'll provide some background information concerning this classic story, sourced from the Wikipedia article on the subject. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is a Gothic story by American author Washington Irving, contained in his collection of 34 essays and short stories titled The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent. Written while Irving was living abroad in Birmingham, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was first published in 1819. Along with Irving's companion piece, Rip Van Winkle, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is among the earliest examples of American fiction with enduring popularity, especially during Halloween because of a character known as the Headless Horseman, believed to be a Hessian soldier who was decapitated by a cannonball in battle. The story is set in 1790 in the countryside around the Dutch settlement of Terrytown, in a secluded glen known as Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow is renowned for its ghosts and the haunting atmosphere that pervades the imaginations of its inhabitants and visitors. Some residents say this town was bewitched during the early days of the Dutch settlement, while others claim that the mysterious atmosphere was caused by an old Native American chief, the wizard of his tribe, before the country was discovered by Master Hendrik Hudson. Residents of the town are seemingly subjected to various supernatural and mysterious occurrences. The legend, relates to the tale of Ichabod Crane, a lean, lanky, and extremely superstitious schoolmaster from Connecticut. Throughout his stay at Sleepy Hollow, Crane is able to make himself both useful and agreeable to the families that he lodges with. He occasionally assists with light farm work and helping to make hay, mend fences, caring for numerous farm animals, and cutting firewood, Besides his more dominant role as the schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane also assists the various mothers of the town by helping to take care of their young children, taking on a more gentle and ingratiating role. Crane is also quite popular among the women of the town for his education and his talent for carrying the whole budget of local gossip, which makes him a welcome sight within female circles. As a firm believer in witchcraft and the like, Crane has an unequaled appetite for the Marvelous, which is only increased by his stay in the spellbound region of Sleepy Hollow, A source of fearful pleasure for Crane is to visit the old Dutch wives and listen to their marvelous tales of ghosts and goblins, haunted locations, and the tales of the Headless Horsemen, or the Galloping Hessian of the Hollow, as they sometimes called him. Throughout the story, Ichabod Crane competes with Abraham Brombones Van Brunt. The town rowdy and local hero, for the hand of the 18-year-old Katrina Van Tassel, the daughter and sole child of wealthy farmer Baltus Van Tassel. Ichabod Crane, an outsider, sees marriage to Katrina as a means of procuring Van Tassel's extravagant wealth. Brahm, unable to force Ichabod into a physical showdown to settle things, plays a series of pranks on the superstitious schoolmaster. The tension among the three continues for some time and is soon brought to a head. On a placid autumn night, the ambitious crane attends a harvest party at the Van Tassel's homestead. He dances, partakes in the feast, and listens to ghostly legends told by Bram and the locals. But his true aim is to propose to Katrina after the guests leave. His intentions, however, are ill-fated as he fails to secure Katrina's hand. The following is an excerpt from the book. When the dance was at the end, Ichabod was attracted to a knot of the Sager folk, who with Old Van Tassel sat smoking at one end of the piazza gossiping over former times and drawing out long stories about the war. This neighborhood, at the time of which I was speaking, was one of those highly favored places which abound within Chronicle and Great Men. The British and American line had run near it during the war. It had, therefore, been the scene of marauding and infested with refugees, cowboys, and all kinds of border chivalry. Just sufficient time had elapsed to enable each storyteller to dress up his tale with a little becoming fiction, and in the indistinctiveness of his recollection to make himself the hero of every exploit. There was the story of Dofu Martling, a large, blue-bearded Dutchman, who had nearly taken a British frigate with an old iron nine-pounder from a mud breastwork, only that his gun burst at the sixth discharge, and there was an old gentleman who shall be nameless, being too rich a mine here to be lightly mentioned, who, in the Battle of White Plains, being an excellent master of defense, Parried a musket ball with a small sword, insomuch that he absolutely felt it whizz round the blade and glance off the hilt, in proof of which he was ready at any time to show the sword, with the hilt a little bent. There were several more that had been equally great in the field, not one of whom but was persuaded that he had a considerable hand in bringing the war to a happy termination. But all these were nothing to the tales of ghosts and apparitions that succeeded. The neighborhood is rich in legendary treasures of the kind. Local tales and superstitions thrive best in these sheltered, long-settled retreats, but are trampled underfoot by the shifting throng that forms the population of most of our country places Besides, there is no encouragement for ghosts in most of our villages, for they have scarcely had time to finish their first nap and turn themselves over in their graves before their surviving friends have traveled away from the neighborhood, so that when they turn out at night to walk their rounds, they have no acquaintance left to call upon. This is perhaps the reason why we so seldom hear of ghosts except in these long-established Dutch communities. The immediate cause, however, of the prevalence of supernatural stories in these parts was doubtless owing to the vicinity of Sleepy Hollow. There was a contagion in the very air that blew from that haunted region. It breathed forth an atmosphere of dreams and fancies, infecting all the land. Several of the Sleepy Hollow people were present at Van Tassels, and, as usual, were doling out their wild and wonderful legends. Many dismissal tales were told about funeral trains, and mourning cries and wailing heard and seen about the great tree where the unfortunate Major Andre was taken, and which stood in the neighborhood. Some mention was also made of the woman in white that haunted the dark glen at Raven Rock, and was often heard to shriek on winter nights before a storm, having perished there in the snow. The chief part of the stories, however, turned upon the favorite specter of Sleepy Hollow, the Headless Horseman, who had been heard several times of late patrolling the country, and who was said, tethered his horse nightly among the graves in the churchyard the sequestered situation of the church seems always to have made it a favorite haunt of troubled spirits it stands on a knoll surrounded by locust trees and lofty elms from among which its decent whitewashed walls shine modestly forth like christian purity beaming through the shades of retirement A gentle slope descends from it to a silver sheet of water, bordered by high trees, between which peeps may be caught at the blue hills of the Hudson. To look upon its grass-grown yard, where the sunbeams seem to sleep so quietly, one would think that there at least the dead might rest in peace. On one side of the church extends a wide woody dell, along which raves a large brook among broken rocks and trunks of fallen trees. Over a deep black part of the stream, not far from the church, was formerly thrown a wooden bridge, a road that led to it, and the bridge itself where thickly shaded by overhanging trees which cast a gloom about it, even in the daytime, but occasioned a fearful darkness at night. Such was one of the favorite haunts of the Headless Horseman and the place where he was most frequently encountered. The tale was told by Old Brower, a most heretical disbeliever in ghosts, how he met the horseman returning from his foray into Sleepy Hollow and was obliged to get up behind him, how they galloped over bush and break over hill and swamp until they reached the bridge when the horseman suddenly turned into a skeleton, threw old Brower into the brook and sprang away over the treetops with a clap of thunder. The story was immediately matched by a thrice-marvelous adventure of Brom Bones, who made light of the galloping Hessian as an arrogant jockey. He affirmed that on returning one night from the neighboring village of Sing Sing, he had been overtaken by this midnight trooper, that he had offered to race him for a bowl of punch, and should have won it, too. For Daredevil beat the goblin horse all hollow, But just as they came to the church bridge, the Hessian bolted and vanished in a flash of fire. All these tales told in that drowsy undertone with which men talk in the dark. The countenances of the listeners, only now and then receiving a casual gleam from the glare of a pipe, sank deep in the mind of Ichabod. He repaid them in kind with large extracts from his invaluable author, Cotton Mather, and added many marvelous events that had taken place in his native state of Connecticut, and fearful sights which he had seen in his nightly walks about Sleepy Hollow. The revel now gradually broke up. The old farmers gathered together their families in their wagons and were heard for some time rattling along the hollow roads over the distant hills. Some of the damsels mounted on pillions behind their favorite swains and their light-hearted laughter mingling with the clatter of hoofs echoed along the silent woodlands sounding fainter and fainter until they gradually died away and the late scene of noise and frolic was all silent and deserted. Ichabod only lingered behind, according to the custom of country lovers, to have a tete a tete with the heiress, fully convinced that he was now on the high road to success. What passed at this interview I will not pretend to say, for in fact I do not know something however i fear me must have gone wrong for he certainly sallied forth after no very great interval with an air quite desolate and crestfallen oh these women these women could that girl have been playing off any of her coquettish tricks was her encouragement Of the poor pedagogue, all a mere sham to secure her conquest of his rival. Heaven only knows, not I. Let it suffice to say, Ichabod stole forth with the air of one who'd been sacking a hen roost rather than a fair lady's heart. Without looking to the right or left to notice the scene of rural wealth on which he had so often gloated, he went straight to the stable, and with several hearty cuffs and kicks roused his steed most uncourteously from the comfortable quarters in which he was soundly sleeping, dreaming of mountains of corn and oats and whole valleys of timothy and clover. It was a very witching time of night that Ichabod, heavy-hearted and crestfallen, pursued his travels homeward. Along the sides of the lofty hills which rise above Terrytown, and which have been traversed so cheerily in the afternoon, the hour was as dismal as himself. Far below him the Tappan Zee spread its dusky and indistinct waste of waters, with here and there the tall mast of a sloop, riding quietly at anchor under the land, in the dead hush of midnight. He could even hear the barking of the watchdog from the opposite shore of the hudson but it was so vague and faint as only to give an idea of his distance from this faithful companion of man now and then too the long drawn crowing of a cock accidentally awakened would sound off far far off from some farmhouse away among the hills but it was like a dreaming sound in his ear. No sign of life occurred near him, but occasionally the melancholy chirp of a cricket, or perhaps the guttural twang of a bullfrog from a neighboring marsh, as if sleeping uncomfortably and turning suddenly in his bed. All the stories of ghosts and goblins that he had heard in the afternoon now came crowding upon his recollection. The night grew dark. Darker and darker, the stars seemed to sink deeper into the sky and driving clouds occasionally hid them from his sight. He had never felt so lonely and dismal. He was, moreover, approaching the very place where many of the scenes of the ghost stories had been laid. In the center of the road stood an enormous tulip tree which towered like a giant above all the other trees in the neighborhood and formed a kind of landmark. Its limbs were gnarled and fantastic, large enough to form trunks for ordinary trees, twisting down almost to the ground and rising again into the air. It was connected with the tragical story of the unfortunate Andre, who had been taken prisoner hard by and was universally known by the name of Major Andres' Tree. The common people regarded it with a mixture of respect and superstition, partly out of sympathy for the fate of its ill-starred namesake, and partially from the tales of strange sights and doleful lamentations told concerning it. As Ichabod approached this fearful tree, he began to whistle, He thought his whistle was answered, but it was a blast, sweeping sharply through the dry branches. As he approached a little nearer, he thought he saw something white, hanging in the midst of the tree. He paused and ceased whistling, On looking more narrowly, perceived that it was a place where the tree had been scathed by lightning, and the white wood laid bare. Suddenly he heard a groan, his teeth chattered, and his knees smote against the saddle. It was but the rubbing of one huge bough upon another. As they were swayed about by the breeze, he passed the tree in safety, but new perils lay before him. About two hundred yards from the tree, a small brook crossed the road, and ran into a marshy and thickly wooded glen known by the name of Wiley's Swamp. A few rough logs laid side by side served for a bridge over this stream. On that side of the road where the brook entered the wood, a group of oaks and chestnuts, matted, thick with wild grapevines, threw a cavernous gloom over it. To pass this bridge was the severest trial. It was at this identical spot that the unfortunate Andre was captured, and under the covert of those chestnuts and vines were the sturdy yeomen concealed who surprised him. This has ever since been considered a haunted stream, and fearful are the feelings of the schoolboy who has to pass it alone after dark. As he approached the stream, his heart began to thump, and he summoned up, however, all his resolution, gave his horse half a score of kicks in the ribs, and attempted to dash briskly across the bridge. But instead of starting forward, the perverse old animal made a lateral movement and ran broadside against the fence. Ichabod, whose fears increased with the delay, jerked the reins on the other side and kicked lustily with the contrary foot. It was all in vain. His steed started, it is true, but it was the only plunge in the opposite side of the road into the thicket of brambles and alder bushes. The schoolmaster now bestowed both whip and heel upon the starving ribs of old gunpowder, who dashed forward, snuffling and snorting, but came to a stand just by the bridge with a suddenness that had nearly sent his rider sprawling over his head. Just at that moment, a plashy tramp by the side of the bridge caught the sensitive ear of Ichabod. In the dark shadow of the grove, on the margin of the brook, he beheld something huge, misshapen and towering. It stirred not, but seemed gathered up in the gloom, like some gigantic monster ready to spring upon the traveler. The hair of the affrighted pedagogue rose upon his head with terror for what was to be done. To turn and fly was now too late, and besides, what chance was there of escaping ghost or goblin, if such it was, which could ride upon the wings of the wind. Summoning up, therefore, a show of courage, he demanded in stammering accents, Who are you? He received no reply. He repeated his demand in a still more agitated voice. Still, there was no answer. Once more he cudgelled the sides of the inflexible gunpowder and, shutting his eyes, broke forth with involuntary fervor into a psalm tune. Just then the shadowy object of alarm put itself in motion and, with a scramble and a bound, stood at once in the middle of the road. Though the night was dark and dismal, yet the form of the unknown might now in some degree be ascertained. He appeared to be a horseman of large dimensions and mounted on a black horse of powerful frame. He made no offer of molestation or sociability, but kept aloof on one side of the road, jogging along on the blind side of old gunpowder, who had just got over his fright and waywardness. Ichabod, who had no relish for this strange midnight companion, and bethought himself of the adventure of Brom Bones with the galloping Hessian, now quickened his steed in hopes of leaving him behind. The stranger, however, quickened his horse to an equal pace. Ichabod pulled up and fell into a walk, thinking to lag behind. The other did the same. His heart began to sink within him. He endeavored to resume his psalm tune. But his parched tongue clove to the roof of his mouth, and he could not utter a stave. There was something in the moody and dogged silence of this pernicious companion that was mysterious and appalling. It was soon fearfully accounted for. On mounting a rising ground, which brought the figure of his fellow traveller in relief against the sky, gigantic in height and muffled in a cloak. Ichabod was horror-struck on perceiving that he was headless. But his horror was still more increased on observing that the head, which should have rested on his shoulders, was carried before him on the pommel of his saddle. His terror rose to desperation. He rained a shower of kicks and blows upon gunpowder, hoping by a sudden movement to give his companion the slip. But the specter started full jump with him. Away then they dashed through thick and thin, stones flying and sparks flashing at every bound. Ichabod's flimsy garments fluttered in the air as he stretched his long, lank body away over his horse's head in the eagerness of his flight. They had now reached the road, which turns off to Sleepy Hollow. But Gunpowder, who seemed possessed with a demon, instead of keeping up it, made an opposite turn and plunged headlong downhill to the left. This road leads through a sandy hollow shaded by trees for about a quarter of a mile, where it crossed the bridge, famous in Goblin Story, and just beyond the swell, the green knoll on which stands the whitewashed church. As yet the panic of the steed had given his unskillful rider an apparent advantage in the chase, but just as he got halfway through the hollow, the girths of the saddle gave way, and he felt it slipping from under him. He seized it by the pommel and endeavored to hold it firm, but in vain, and had just time to save himself by clasping old gunpowder round the neck when the saddle fell to the earth. And he heard it trampled underfoot by his pursuer for a moment the terror of hans van ripper's wrath passed across his mind for it was his sunday saddle but this was no time for petty fears the goblin was hard upon his haunches and unskillful rider that he was he had much ado to maintain his seat sometimes slipping on one side sometimes on another and sometimes jolted on the high ridge of his horse's backbone with a violence that he verily feared would cleave him asunder. An opening in the trees now chewed him with hopes that the church bridge was at hand. The wavering reflection of a silver star in the bosom of the brook told him that he was not mistaken. He saw the walls of the church dimly glaring under the trees beyond, He recollected the place where Brom Bones' ghostly competitor had disappeared. If I can just reach that bridge, thought Ichabod, I am safe. Just then he heard the black steed panting and blowing close behind him. He even fancied that he felt his hot breath. Another convulsive kick in the ribs and old gunpowder sprang upon the bridge. He thundered over the resounding planks. He gained the opposite side, and now Ichabod cast a look behind him to see if his pursuer should vanish according to the rule in a flash of fire and brimstone. Just then he saw the goblin rising in his stirrups, and in the very act of hurling his head at him, Ichabod endeavored to dodge the horrible missile, but too late. It encountered his cranium with tremendous crash he was tumbled headlong into the dust and gunpowder the black steed and the goblin rider passed by like a whirlwind the next morning the old horse was found without his saddle and with the bridle under his feet soberly cropping the grass at his master's gate Ichabod did not make his appearance at breakfast. Dinner hour came, but no Ichabod. The boys assembled at the schoolhouse and strolled idly about the banks of the brook, but no schoolmaster. Hans van Ripper now began to feel some uneasiness about the fate of poor Ichabod and his saddle an inquiry was set on foot, and after diligent investigation they came upon his traces, In one part of the road leading to the church was found the saddle trampled in the dirt, the tracks of horses' hooves deeply dented in the road, and evidently at furious speed were traced to the bridge, beyond which, on the bank of a broad part of the brook, where the water ran deep and black, was found the hat of the unfortunate Ichabod, and close behind it, a shattered pumpkin. The brook was searched, but the body of the schoolmaster was not to be discovered. Hans Van Ripper, as executor of his estate, examined the bundle which contained all of his worldly effects. They consisted of two shirts and a half, Two stocks for the neck, a pair or two of worsted stockings, an old pair of corduroy, small clothes, a rusty razor, a book of psalm tunes full of dog ears, and a broken pitch pipe. As to the books and furniture of the schoolhouse, they belonged to the community. excepting Cotton Mather's History of Witchcraft, a New England almanac, and a book of dreams and fortune-telling, in which last was a sheet of foolscap, much scribbled and blotted in several fruitless attempts to make a copy of verses in honor of the heiress of Van Tassel. These magic books and their poetic scrawl were forthwith consigned to the flames by Hans Van Ripper, who, from that time forward, determined to send his children no more to school, observing that he never knew any good come from this same reading and writing. Whatever money the schoolmaster possessed, and he had received his quarter's pay but a day or two before, he must have had about his person at the time of his disappearance. The mysterious event caused much speculation at the church on the following Sunday. Knots of gazers and gossips were collected in the churchyard at the bridge, at the spot where the hat and pumpkin had been found. The stories of Brower, of Bones, and a whole budget of others were called to mind. And when they had diligently considered them all and compared them with the symptoms of the present case, they shook their heads and came to the conclusion that Ichabod had been carried off by the galloping Hessian. As he was a bachelor and in nobody's debt, nobody troubled his head any more about him. The school was removed to a different quarter of the hollow and another pedagogue reigned in his stead. It is true, an old farmer who had been down to New York on a visit several years after and from whom his account of the ghostly adventure was received, brought home the intelligence that Ichabod Crane was still alive, and he had left the neighborhood partly through fear of the goblin and Hans Van Ripper, and partly in mortification at having been suddenly dismissed by the heiress, that he had changed his quarters to a distant part of the country, had kept school and studied law at the same time, had been admitted to the bar, turned politician, electioneered, written for the newspapers, and finally had been made a justice of the ten-pound court. Brom Bones too, who, shortly after his rival's disappearance, conducted the blooming Katrina to triumph to the altar, was observed to look exceedingly knowing whenever the story of Ichabod was related, and always burst into a hearty laugh at the mention of the pumpkin, which led some to suspect that he knew more about the matter than he chose to tell. The old country wives, however, who are the best judges of these matters, maintain to this day that Ichabod was spirited away by supernatural means, and it is a favorite story often told about the neighborhood round the winter evening fire. The bridge became more than ever an object of superstitious awe and that may be the reason why the road has been altered of late years as to approach the church by the border of the mill pond. The schoolhouse, being deserted, soon fell to decay and was reported to be haunted by the ghost of the unfortunate pedagogue and the ploughboy loitering homeward of a still summer evening has often fancied his voice at a distance, chanting a melancholy psalm tune among the tranquil solitudes of Sleepy Hollow. The End This has been Paul Arbisi presenting Tales from a Dark Realm from Dark Realm Enterprises. Tonight's story was titled The Legend of Sleepy Hollow which was written by Washington Irving. The post-production editor, sound designer, director, and producer was Jonathan Patrick Russell. The music heard in this program was provided by Kevin McLeod. Join us again for another frightening story. This program is copyright 2022. All rights reserved and is brought to you by Dream Realm Enterprises, warping to new dimensions. You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy as Lothar Tuppen brings you Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio, or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast player. And thank you for listening, everybody. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.